John the Baptist brings a message in Matthew chapter 3 that proclaims that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His physical appearance might seem unexpected if someone proclaiming a message of God, as prophets were expected to represent the divine power they served. Yet, we can look throughout time and see prophets wearing simple clothing that is almost primal, so this look is not without precedent. So let's take an examination of what is actually learned from John's rugged appearance. What does he tell us about this new era? There's a vivid blend of primitive existence with the perfect sophistication of God's kingdom. And John is a creature of God, set apart from the earthly standards that are around him, and he shows us the abrupt truth of meeting Christ. John is a creature of God, and yet he is still called by God to baptize and serve the Son of God, even though he is an unworthy servant. And we, too, are God's creatures, and God calls us in our crude state to be transformed into Christ-likeness and to serve him. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me in the studio is... Pastor Anthony Alegria. And um, I might just want to say, if you could excuse some of the marks on my face, I've been working in the yard a lot the past couple days. Well, I think he's trying to give a little bit of a pass of how theology is, is um, done around here. Um, but anyways, in all seriousness, let's talk about Matthew chapter 3. This is part of our series, The Adventure of Holiness. Last time we looked at what it means to be a prophet and the question of where are prophets in the modern era. But today we're actually going to look at the content within this and the message that we find in Matthew 3. So in this message, we're going to closely examine two aspects of this chapter. The grace of God in John's message of repentance and the fact that John is tasked with baptizing the Lord Christ Jesus the begotten Son of God manifested in fully human form. So let's go ahead and begin with the first section of this chapter. And Anthony, would you read for us the first 12 verses here in Matthew chapter 3? In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John, in this selection, serves as a reminder that we are creatures made out of the dust of the earth. His wardrobe and behavior has said all of the fine sophistications of human society and returned to a more primal state. The society of man has occupied itself with a rigorous attempt to forget that its members are fundamentally creatures creeping along the earth with God's breath of life. 
Moreover, as human society demands that we forget this fact, we find ourselves confronted with a mouthpiece of God. We find this man, John the Baptist, out in the wilderness wearing these primal clothing with an ecstatic message coming to tell us that the Messiah is at hand. This message of repentance is one which comes with the grace of God, and it does come with the confrontation of the two, really, mentalities we see here. We fear that the brood of vipers, as John calls them, these religious leaders of the Jewish community, they come forth to see what's going on, and yet John looks and says, look, with all your fine sophistication and your application of the law, you have forgotten what you really are. You have all the things built around you to kind of distract you from the truth of your existence as one of God's creatures, as servants of the master of the universe. And in this, we see his contrasting wardrobe coming to say, but this is really who we are. We are these crude creatures, but yet God doesn't want us to stay in this crude form. God wants us to move out of that and towards Christ-likeness. Though John doesn't really understand exactly how this is going to play out, he does realize that the Holy Spirit is coming to baptize in a way that he cannot. In John's dress attire, while it is strange, and a lot of people point out how strange it is, it's not actually unheard of for a prophet. One of his tasks, oftentimes, if we look through the Old Testament, we can see that they're a little bit peculiar. The prophets, they don't always line up with the standards of society. And this message that he has about the kingdom of God coming and the need for repentance, it is very consistent and very expected of a, of a prophet. But let's talk a bit about repentance. Many times theologians have made the mistake of teaching us that we need to repent and be saved so that we can be saved from hell. And while it is certainly true that we need to repent and we do need to be saved from hell, we cannot reduce salvation and God's grace down to a point of just a mere transaction to get us out of hell because that forsakes the beautiful truth of creation. It forsakes the beautiful redemption that God has in store for his people. A good understanding of salvation is not mere saving from hell, but it also includes healing to Christ-likeness. And if we study the language of the New Testament, we will find the word sozo. We discussed this in one of our previous podcasts on divine healing. And sozo is the Greek word for both saving and healing. English translators have done us a disservice when dealing with this word sozo, because they translate the word a little different depending on the context. Often if the term sozo is found in the context of Christ blessing someone with bodily affliction, then it may appear as healed. However, if we find it in an explicit spiritual setting, if we see something like the forgiving of sins, then we might see the word saved. Yet, the act of healing and saving are the same. And when Jesus came, he came to save us from sin and heal us to the true form which we were intended to be. Jesus Christ came that we might repent, turn from sin, and be healed to Christ-likeness, that we might be restored to the creatures that we were originally designed to be. We are not only to be saved from sin and to have a huge focus on hell, we don't want to give too much emphasis of that, but we are healed to Christ-likeness, and we are to emphasize the glory and the power and the beauty of God. We're not to spend so much time wrapped up in saying, oh, let's just talk about hell and, and sin and focus on that all the time. We are to repent from those things, and those things are real and there. But our focus, our emphasis, the direction we should be going, the, the mentality we should have in life is to look towards Christ's likeness, to be healed towards that, to be sanctified, to be made holy. And we look to John, and we look to our, our scriptures, and we find that the grace of God is coming to restore us, even when we do not know how to pursue it. Since the fall, humanity has been afflicted with sin, and sin caused man to confuse their place in the providential design of creation. After the fall, humanity forgot that it was the servant and began to think that it was the master. 
However, the hope of humanity's redemption is found with the master of the universe giving new life to the unworthy servants who are unable to bear the consequences of sin and endure the sufferings of this fallen creation. Humanity truly forgot what it was to be the servant rather than the master. The Jewish leaders had forgotten that the law was a tool of grace. It was a tool of, of redemption, but it was not grace. It was not redemption itself. It wasn't actually God. They became so obsessed with the letter of the law that they forgot the spirit of the law and rendered themselves unable to receive messages from the God that gave them the law. But yet, the grace of God would not leave them in this state. Ever since the fall, the grace of God has been active in bringing redemption to this unfaithful servant. John, as he comes, baptizing out in the wilderness, he appears on the scene wearing primal disposition, and he represents the truth of man that we are created beings in need of the grace of God, for we cannot obtain it by our own means. Anthony, would you pick up for us in Matthew chapter 3 and read verses 13 to the end of the chapter there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us, in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. All right, in this we find that John is tasked with baptizing the Lord Christ Jesus. And I know we, we read through this a lot, and a lot of times it may become mundane, and we may not spend too much time actually living with the world inside this text and the world of, of history. But this is a really, really big deal. This is, this is quite fascinating that the Son of God himself, the begotten Son of God, not the elected Son of God, not someone who, who God said, well, I'd like to call you my son for a little while, but the actual Word of God, the begotten Son of God, which takes on full human flesh, fully God, fully man, he comes to John and says, you are to baptize me. And now, whenever we, we read through this, we find John's own proclamation that he says, I'm unworthy to tie the sandals on Jesus' feet. And he's right in proclaiming so. Notwithstanding this fact, Jesus comes to him and asks John to baptize him. And it's not just an ask that says, you know, would you like to do this? Let's have a debate about it. He comes and says, John, you are going to baptize me. It, it, is, it is a command. It is a, an instruction. He says, this must be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. John is tasked with baptizing the Lord. Just spend a few moments thinking about that. The servant, and an unworthy servant at that, is tasked with baptizing the master. The humble creature comes to baptize the master of the universe, the one who spoke creation into being. Now, John the Baptist, he... he serves us the role of the prophet. And he is the mouthpiece that is declaring the way of the Lord, and the prophet must represent the Lord. That's kind of fundamental to what it means to be a prophet. You've got to represent the divine authority that you're the, the prophet of. And the Lord is righteous. And what we learn from this is that John must represent that the Lord is righteous, even if he is unworthy to do so. Thus, when the Lord demands that John baptize him to fulfill all righteousness, it is necessary for John to carry out the baptism so that the world may see the righteousness of the Lord. Baptism is an act visible for the entire world to see. And as John baptizes the Lord, even though Jesus had no sin and no need for this baptism of repentance, the eyes of creation 
watch in anticipation as the grace of God stands before them. And the Spirit of God descends from above to rest on Christ Jesus, declaring, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. In this moment, the world could observe the grace of God before them. It did not matter if John was an unworthy servant. It was still his duty to be the servant. It did not matter if John was, was unworthy to untie the sandals of his feet. He was still called to baptize him. It was not John's place to decide what he was to do or was not to do. It was not his decision whether he was capable of it or not. It was not even John's place to judge whether or not he was righteous enough for the task. It was instead John's place to represent the Lord with honor and diligence. And when the Lord Christ Jesus came to John for baptism, it was his unquestionable responsibility to do so. We as the church, we have been set apart as the instruments of bestowing God's grace. We are set apart by God for this very holy purpose. And it's not our place to pick and choose which part of the gospel we implement. Just as John did not come and say, Lord, I will baptize these over here because they need to repent, but I will not baptize you because I'm unworthy. It wasn't John's place to say that. He didn't get to. And we ourselves do not get to pick and choose which part of Christian duty we will fulfill. As the representatives, or ambassadors as we might say, of Christ on this earth, we must all work to be honorable and diligent in our representation of Christ. The Holy Spirit came to reside with us at Pentecost, and all of us can be sanctified through Christ Jesus. And we have no excuse. And when we understand our calling, we are not told that we must have all the wisdom and intelligence of God. We are not told that we must recast our physical bodies into an unimaginable form of beautiful perfection. We are not tasked with rewriting time or making judgments of eternity. But instead, we are tasked with turning from sin and being healed to Christ's likeness. God does not call us to bicker about how unholy we are or how we will never reach perfection on this earth. John was not invited to a debate with Jesus about how unworthy he was to untie the Lord's sandals. And neither are we. It is not good enough that humanity is marred by sin. It is not good enough for us to stay and ebb and wallow away to that till there is nothing left. For a way has been made, it, made clear to us that we can return to God's holiness. There is no excuse to ebb away in pityness. For the Master has come calling us to do great things. The Master desires for us to do great things, just as we look to the unfathomable task of the unworthy servant John baptizing the Son of God. And ever since the fall into creation, all of creation has been left in a state needing redemption. All of creation leading up to the advent of Christ Jesus in full human form has this anticipation that salvation, redemption, that it is coming, this healing, this reconciliation to God. And God did not create so that his creation might be left in a place of damnation that would be marked with eternal separation from God and nothing but death and decay. God blessed all of his creatures with his word. And as the word of God comes, we find that we might live eternally with him in a righteous state. But we must turn from sin and move towards the holiness of God. As we walk in this material plane, and since the fall, we know quite clearly that our bodies are not made for long on this material plane. But nonetheless, as we are here, we must invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to sanctify us that we may be good representatives of God. And if we are to be the church that is truly instrumental in bestowing God's grace, we must recognize the great need for us living as proper representatives of the gospel. We must represent Christ with honor and diligence. And the only way we can do that is through the power of Christ. 
We are mere instruments of his grace and of his glory. And as we close, I want us to contemplate what we can do to pursue the grace and glory of God and to serve him with diligence and honor. Again, it was not good enough for John to come and say, Lord, I'm unworthy to do this. You must baptize me. No, he must baptize the Lord because that is what is demanded of him. Anthony, any thoughts before we close? Uh, nothing unique from what you said, though um, I do think that this is a this story is a beautiful display of uh, the relationship between humanity and God. And it is one where um, humanity does not decide its place. And uh, we should definitely thank God for that, <laughs> that we do not decide our place. Because uh, if we were to decide our place, we would often choose the nothingness of the world. And even in this story, John the Baptist says, no, I do not want the task that you're about to bring to me. And it is a very glorious task. But um, the glory of God and the grace of God so abounds that he chooses to bring his unworthy creation to the table and make us worthy. And I think that that's a very beautiful thing. All right. And that is a beautiful thing indeed. And we will close on that point. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day. Thank you.